Let's pray as we dig into Hebrews. Father, thank you for this powerful book. Thank you for the things you're teaching me. Lord, I pray that you would take this passage today, which is so powerful on the necessity of fellowship and of encouraging each other every day. And Lord, I I pray that you would use it in the life of Mercy Hill Church to raise up our earnestness, our devotion to loving and encouraging each other, to to, uh, the cost of time and of energy and effort that will mean. I pray that you would do that in our hearts through this passage this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Well, I went to seminary down in Southern California, Pasadena. And uh, while I was there, there was two seminary students who decided they wanted to climb to the top of Mount McKinley, which is in Alaska. What, 26,000 feet, Ian? Close? Okay, 26,000 feet. And these guys are both experienced mountaineers, mountain climbers, and so they thought that to give an added challenge, they would do it during winter. That was their plan. And everything went fine. They, they made it to the top without any difficulty, but on the way down, disaster struck. And a, an intense gale force freezing storm started to blow in, first of all, just like blinding, freezing. And then one of them, because of the lack of oxygen at that elevation, just became completely disoriented forgot where he was. So he, he, he took off his gloves, wind blew his gloves away. He took off his jacket. First he took off his backpack, took off his jacket, wind blew his jacket away. And then his partner in front of him, his friend in front of him, turned around and saw what was happening and was horrified because as, as he sees his friend taking his sleeping bag out of his backpack, blows away, their tent out of his backpack, blows away. And so he realizes that his friend is going to freeze to death unless he does something. This guy's completely disoriented, has no, recla- no sense of where he is and what he's doing. And so his friend went back the trail, got him, said, pulled out his own sleeping bag from the backpack and made his friend get, you've got to get in the sleeping bag, get in, get in the sleeping bag, zipped it up, and then did all he could to keep the two of them surviving and warm enough until the, the storm passed and they were able to come back down. Now, it was costly. Both of them lost some fingers. Both of them lost some toes and some parts of their feet. But that friend who'd become disoriented would have frozen to death if his friend hadn't gone to him, talked to him, done something to help him. Now, the reason I share that story is because that is a powerful picture of what fellowship can be like. Because the Bible teaches that Once you're saved, sin's power is broken, you're forgiven, you're justified, but there is still remaining sin in us. So look at your brothers and sisters around here. There is still remaining sin in them. Okay, None of us are perfect until heaven. And that remaining sin in your brothers and sisters can disorient them completely so that they are deceived about what they're doing. They're moving into unbelief. They've forgotten who God is, or they're not going to think about who God is, and that sin can so deceive them and can so disorient them that they are taking steps which could lead to them falling away from God to eternal destruction. So that's that's the what's at stake here. And then the Bible also then teaches that God will use your encouragement, your love, your phone call, your text message, your meeting at Starbucks, your encouragement, exhortation, care, listening, tears, arms. God will use your fellowship with your brothers and sisters to wake them up, to reorient them to what's going on. 
What was I thinking? What was I doing? So that they will keep holding fast their confidence in the Lord all the way to the end and enter glory. That's what the Bible teaches about fellowship. And when we understand that, that makes fellowship deadly serious. Now, it's, it's not just serious. It's joyful. It's affection. It's warmth. It's comradeship. It's, it's companionship in the battle, the fight of faith. But it makes it earnest, blood earnest. Because what the Bible teaches, as I hope to show you this morning, is that eternity is at stake in our fellowshipping together. Let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We are passionate about studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And so once you all have a copy of the Bible, you can open up. It's on page 1002 in the Bibles that we're passing out. What you might hear in these verses could be a different description of fellowship that you've ever heard before. This passage is one of the foundational passages that's formed has formed the the passions and the practices of our home groups. Sean was talking about home groups. This passage is crucial for how we operate in our home groups. Let's take a look at what the author of Hebrews says, what God speaks to us through the author of Hebrews in verses 12 through 14. Look at what he says. Take care, brothers. And as we always say that brothers in the Greek word is generic, he's talking about brothers and sisters. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Powerful passage here. Now notice those first two words in verse 12. Take care. We're to take care, to be on the alert that our brothers and sisters not fall into a danger. So what is the danger that our brothers and sisters could fall into? What danger do they face? And in in this passage, the author describes this danger in two different ways. Uh, First is in verse 12. Read that again. Here's one way of describing the danger. Before we do that, though, look at the people around you, okay? Okay? We're talking about them. Okay, these are your brothers and sisters right here. This could be your believing wife, your believing husband, your believing children, your believing parents, your brothers and sisters in your home group. Okay, what danger do they face? Here's the first way he puts it in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the danger is not something outside them in their circumstances. The danger is inside them. It's their their hearts. Your brother or sister in Christ could develop an evil unbelieving heart. See, that's right there. That's a possibility. That's a danger that they face. And the reason that they could develop this evil, unbelieving heart, as I mentioned earlier, is because we all still have remaining sin in us. When we're saved, sin's power is broken, but it's not eradicated. It's not removed until heaven. In the meantime, we still, each of us, have remaining sin, and sin is a power. 
Sin is active. Sin is not taking a nap. Sin is on the move. Sin is pulling you towards unbelief. Sin is whispering towards you to to turn away from Christ. And so your brother or sister who's sitting right here next to you or in front of you or behind you, this afternoon, for example, sin could could whisper to to them, Don't trust Jesus. He's not gonna he's not gonna satisfy you. What why don't you you're kinda bored, why don't you call this person and gossip? That's a way to get some life and some some excitement in your life. So there's this whispering, or or there could be this whisper saying, you know, go ahead, yeah, that person hurts you, just nurse that grudge. Just feel that bitterness. That'll make you feel better. All different kinds of ways this afternoon that sin's going to be whispering to the people sitting around you. Turn from Jesus. He's not going to satisfy you. He's not going to help you. He won't strengthen your faith like Aaron was saying earlier. He won't do those things. Just pursue this. This is going to be better for you. This is where life is going to be found. Your brothers and sisters this afternoon have sin whispering towards them, towards unbelief. Stop trusting Jesus. And if your brother this afternoon listens to those whispers, he will develop what's called here an evil, unbelieving heart which, if it's allowed to continue, will lead him to fall away from the living God to eternal destruction. Some of you are wondering, I thought once we were saved, we're always saved. Okay, we're, we're going to come to that in a moment. That's verse 14, okay? So hold that thought. I want you to feel the danger first, okay? Because the danger is real. Another way to describe the danger, verse 13. He says, but exhort one another every day Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So not only do we have sin in us, which whispers to us to stop trusting Jesus Christ, this sin in us can deceive us. I was talking to Jan about this yesterday, and just the way she put it. I mean, when you're deceived, do you know you're deceived? No, that's why you're deceived. When you're deceived, you're on top of Mount McKinley and you're taking your clothes off because you think you're at the beach or something. That's called deception. All right. So sin can deceive us, which means it could lead your sister, your, this, this woman in your home group, it could lead her this afternoon to sin in a way that she doesn't even know it's sin or probably deep down inside she does, but she's, she's being deceived by that. Right. So it, it can be completely deceptive. So, for example, you know, maybe there's a brother who's, who starts saying, you know, cheating my company isn't sin. Everybody's doing it, right? Or missing fellowship isn't, isn't sin. I, just, I don't, it's not time for that or whatever it might be, okay? Sin can deceive us. Have any of you, as you look back, have you seen seasons in your life where you were deceived by sin? You didn't even realize what you're doing. Anybody else? Okay, got some nods. All right, it's true. All of us will experience that. So... Sin is deceptive. And then what will happen as, as that deception takes place is that this brother's heart will grow hardened towards God, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Instead of the heart being soft before the Lord and worshipful towards the Lord Jesus and loving the Lord Jesus, his heart, because of the deception, will grow hard towards the Lord, bitter towards the Lord, distant from the Lord. So the author of Hebrews wants us to understand your brother in Christ, your wife, your husband, your parents, your children, the people at your home group, they're facing dangers. The danger of an unbelieving heart 
that could cause them to fall away from the living God, the danger of sin which can deceive them so their hearts become hardened towards God. Now here's my question. Do you see your brothers and sisters that way? Do you understand that that they are in danger? This afternoon, they will be tempted. This afternoon, they will have sin whispering to stop trusting Christ. This afternoon, they will be drawn by sin's power towards being deceived. Do you understand that that's what's going on in your brothers and sisters? See, we're at war, church. Right? Satan's prowling like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, First Peter tells us. Satan's firing fiery darts at us. War is going on. When you become a believer, you don't like leave the war zone into like R&R. Okay? The war begins when you start following Jesus Christ. The, the, the battle intensity is dialed up when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so do you see that your brothers and sisters are facing a danger? I mean, do you feel that from the language? Take care, brothers. Take care. Lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief. We should be taking care, alert. Now we're going to come back to that. We don't want to do that in a judgmental way or in a harsh way or an I'm better than you way. But we're going to come back to that in a moment too. So just file that away for, a, for just a moment. But I want you to feel the fact that the author of Hebrews here wants to sober us with the fact that our brothers and sisters face a danger. Now, why is that danger so serious? Why is it so serious? So what if sin leads to unbelief and deception and falling away from the living God? What what does that mean? What are the consequences of that? And, And look at what he says in verse 14. This verse is so important to, to ponder. Look what he says. For we have come to share in Christ. Means we've, we've become believers. We've been saved. We have come to share in Christ. If, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now this verse tells us two crucial truths. Okay? The first truth, we have come to share in Christ. We, we have become believers, and we can know that if, because we will keep holding firm our hold until the end. What that means is that everyone who becomes a sharer in Christ will hold firm their original confidence firm to the end. Do you see that? We have become sharers in Christ if we hold fast, which means that everybody who does genuinely become a sharer in Christ will do what? You will hold firm until the end. Now, here's why that happens. I love talking about this. Salvation is such a, a beautiful thing. You may not yet have experienced Christ's saving work, and we are so glad that you're here, if this is the case. Here's what will happen when you do. I can't tell you everything, but the moment you turn from whatever else you've been trusting to satisfy you, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, and as your Savior, and as your heart-satisfying treasure, the moment you do that, He forgives all your sins, past, present, and future, He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit by whom you frequently feel his love, feel his presence, your heart's completely satisfied. And a crucial third thing that's crucial for this context, he starts a work in you which he will never let stop. He starts you holding fast your confidence and he will keep you holding your confidence firm all the way to the end, which is why nobody who becomes a share of Christ will ever let go of their confidence. 
You won't let go and fall away in some final way. Everyone who becomes a sharer in Christ will hold fast. Jesus will keep you strong. He'll keep strengthening you. He'll keep encouraging you. Everyone who gets saved will end up certainly in heaven. Everyone who's a sharer in Christ will hold fast. Okay, but what's that if about then there? What's that if for? There's a second truth this verse teaches. If someone doesn't hold fast their original confidence firm until the end, if someone does become deceived in a final way and they fall away from the living God, and nothing changes, if they just are heading down that road and nothing changes, then that would show they had never become a sharer in Christ. Do you feel that? Everyone who is a sharer in Christ will keep holding fast their confidence firm until the end. And if someone doesn't hold fast their confidence firm until the end, that shows that they never became a sharer in Christ. So that's why this danger is so serious that we're talking about here. If somebody in your home group develops an unbelieving heart, which leads them to fall away from the living God, if they become deceived by sin and their heart becomes hardened, then unless something changes, they will not be saved. Let me say that again. I want you to be really clear on what this verse means. If somebody in your home group develops an evil heart of unbelief, so they fall away from God, if they become deceived by sin, so their heart becomes hardened, and if nothing changes, if nothing changes, then they will not be saved. Not because they lost their salvation, can't happen, but because that would show that they were never saved in the first place. That's why this is so crucial. So let's get really concrete. Let's say there's a guy in your home group, and let's say that, I mean, he's led people to faith, He's prayed for you with great effect and power. He's shared scriptures with you that have deeply encouraged you. But this last week, he pulled you aside and said, hey, can we talk? I've got to share with you what's going on. And he says, you know, I've just got to be honest. My wife is not that interesting to me anymore. And I got a little thing going on with this, this gal at work. And I mean, I'm sure God is okay with it because he wants me to be happy. He came to bring us life and life abundantly after all. He doesn't want me to be, you know, unfulfilled. But I just want to let you know, you know, uh, and I'm sure God's okay with this. How should you respond to this brother? He's totally deceived, right? I hope none of you are wondering. Oh, maybe, but in life, no, no, he's, he's totally deceived. Let's get that really clear. He's completely deceived. How should you respond to him? You should not say, well, he prayed for me with power. He's led people to Christ. He's saved. So I, you know, I guess this is okay. You should not say that. You also, though, should not say, he's not saved. Fooey on him. You don't know that either. All you know is, he's being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Unbelief is gaining in his heart. You should say to yourself, I don't know if he's saved or not. You should say, we have become sharers in Christ if we hold firm our confidence firm until the end. He's not holding firm right now. I don't know if he's not going to hold firm till the end, but right now he's not holding firm. This is dangerous. This is serious. Take care. Uh, 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 alarm bells going off, right? DEFCON 3, right? Bring in the warriors. Do something. This is serious. So do you see why verse 14 would lead us to... We, we should not say, oh, he's saved. He's fine. It's okay. We can't say that based on verse 14, right? 
Nor can we say, well, he's not saved because of what he's doing. I mean, one sin doesn't mean you're not saved. Goodness, we all be toast, okay? But the point is, there's a danger here. At this point in his life, he's not holding firm to his original confidence. Jesus, you're my prize. You're my treasure. I'm be faithful to my wife. I love my kids. Trust you, right? He's let go of that. So it's a dangerous situation. I must do something. Eternity is at stake. I must do something. Do you see that from verse 14 and verses 12 through 14? I hope you do. So then what should we do? What do we do about this danger? Now, one problem we all face is that in in church culture in this country, during this period of church history, um, most of us, if you see a brother or sister struggling in this way, we tend to say something like, "Ah, who am I to get involved? Right? I mean, I've got my own struggles. Right? I'm not sinless. I'll I'll just pray for him, and, and, and he and God will get this worked out. You understand that? Aren't we tempted to respond that way? We are. Okay? That's not what the author of Hebrews tells us to do. Do you see that? He doesn't say, let them work it out with God. He says, do something. Do something. And he gives us two steps to take. One in verse 12, one in verse 13. Verse 12, again, we already looked at those two words. It's those two words, take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. In other words, we're supposed to be concerned about our brothers and sisters. Take care. Be concerned. Care about them. Care about them. I mean, think about this. When when you fellowship with other brothers and sisters, what's your main concern? Is your main concern like, you know, how how do they think about, what do they think about me? Is that my main concern? Is my main concern, um, you know, when do I get a chance to tell that really great joke I heard yesterday, you know, or whatever it might be? I mean, nothing wrong with telling a joke every once in a while. But but what's your what's your main concern? Is it your brother's heart, your sister's heart? Are they strong in trusting Jesus? Is there some deception coming in? Now again, we probably have had experiences where people did this in kind of a harsh high-handed, proud way. Anybody experience anything like that? That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about love and humility and brokenness. We're talking about going to a brother with tears, saying, please, can we talk? I'm, I'm really concerned about you. I'm, 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 I'm a sinful man too, but you're deceived. I love you. You're deceived. That's what the Bible says. Can I pray for you? And so we go with humility. We go with earnestness. We go with tears. We go with love. Not to be something, not to come across like something, but just because I want my brother to be in heaven with me. And I don't know where he's at right now. I don't know if he is or isn't. But I know there's danger right now. I've got to do something about this. So that's one step, is to take care, be concerned So I'm praying that this morning, all of our concern for our brothers and sisters in our home group, our concern for our our wife, your wife, your concern for your husband, your concern for your kids, your concern for your parents, okay, the concern will rise. We will take care. 
Second step, verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it is still called today. So what's that part about as long as it is still called today? Well, He's referring back to Psalm 95, okay, which he quoted in the previous section, when God says today is the day of salvation. So as long as Jesus hasn't come back yet, it's still today. As long as Jesus hasn't come back yet, we keep encouraging each other. We keep exhorting each other day after day because people still can turn back. People still can turn back. So as long as he's not returned, we exhort each other day after day. Now, why every day? That sounds like a lot. Do you, do you exhort, encourage others every day? Is that, is that something that's part of, part of your home group, part of your marriage, part of your family life? Do we exhort each other Every day? Why Why every day? Well, what struck me was that every day, your brother, your sister, your child, your husband, your wife, is being tempted. Every day. Right? Every single day, Satan is firing flaming darts at this guy in your home group. Every single day, Satan's prowling, seeking to devour your husband, your wife, your, your kids. Every day. Every day, temptation's coming. And so every day, we need to be exhorting those. Now, that verse is, is just very powerful. Let that shape how you view fellowship. See, one of the reasons we've structured our church around home groups it's because it's in that home group setting that you have brothers and sisters that you can exhort every day and that you can be exhorted every day. That's what that, that home group structure is for. And again, why is that so crucial that, that there be this, that you're, you're daily exhorting other people in, in trusting Christ? It's because of verse 14. They've come to share in Christ if they hold their original confidence firm until the end. And, second truth, because God has chosen to use your exhortation, your encouragement, your love to bring them back to holding firm, to firming up their grip on their original confidence. Every day. I would guess most of us aren't doing that. Okay, just, just thinking. We probably aren't doing that. But you see why it's so crucial. Every day we're exhorting each other. Now again, here's the big picture. When God saves someone, he starts a good work in them, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, which he will not allow to stop. The good work he starts, he will continue it all the way through until the end. Everyone whom God saves will be in heaven. No one whom God saves will fall away and face eternal destruction. Okay, everyone whom God saves will be in heaven. And one of the ways he keeps us persevering in faith is through our fellowship. It's one of the means. Okay, He will do that, and one of the ways he will do that is through you encouraging your brother, through you encouraging your wife, through you encouraging your kids or your parents. So the good work God starts, he will continue, and then what we have to understand is one of the ways he does that is through our encouragement, through our exhortation. So what this does is this, this should just dial up your sense of the crucial importance of your fellowship with your brothers and sisters. I mean, your phone call tomorrow night, you're, you're there tomorrow night, finished dinner, and you're kind of tired from the day, and, and you think, you know, I, I could, call, you, if, if you're a sister, hey, I could call Sally to, tonight in my home group and see how she's doing. 
oh, she won't want to talk, you know, or what do I have to say? Or It's not that important. But what you understand is your phone call tomorrow night could be the means that God uses to keep her holding firm in the faith to the end. Your little phone call could have that power. Or your, your prayer with your wife Tuesday night, men, could be the means that God uses to keep her from being deceived on Wednesday. It's danger. Your fellowship is God's or, one of God's ordained tools to keep your brothers and sisters pressing on in faith. Your, your breakfast with that guy in the home group. Share promises, to pray for each other, just to share your hearts, to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. That breakfast time this week with that guy in your home group could be the means God uses to keep him from hearing that whispered towards unbelief. So he's holding firm his confidence to the end. God's ordained our fellowship. And as far as we're concerned, what I should be thinking is if I don't take that step, then they may not end up encouraged and they may fall away. That's the tenor of this passage here. As far as we know, as far as we're concerned, our fellowship with our brothers and sisters is crucial. Eternal security is a community project. Eternal security is a group effort. That's what the scriptures teach, which makes fellowship not just, I like having friends, but fellowship means I like having my friends in heaven. Take care. Take care. Now, I would guess that this passage has raised all kinds of questions, okay, which is a good thing. So what, what questions does this stir in your, in your mind? It's like, is that what the Bible teaches? What does that mean about this? How does that work with this? I want us to just take some time for questions so we can think about this. I want this not just to be like what I'm saying, but do you see what I'm saying in the text? Do you see what I'm saying in the passage? The passage is the important part. We want to let the scriptures form and mold and shape and teach us here. So what questions does this raise? Let me just throw out a couple thoughts and then then we can pool our our, our wisdom here. Um, I would think you want to ask God, who especially do you want me to be reaching out to? Another brother, two, three, maybe, you know, family, wife, okay, kids, another brother, two or three, DNA group, okay, that's part of the DNA groups four, so something like that. So ask the Lord, Lord, you know my schedule, you know my responsibilities, what are you calling me to do here? Join a home group, that's the setting for it, okay, and then Lord, here, like there's, there's eight guys in this group. It's not going to happen. So, Lord, who do you want me to focus on? And then I, I, he'll give you wisdom for that. And then you can just pursue that. And it'll be from him. So you know it'll work out with your schedule. That's the beauty of having the Lord. I mean, you, you know all this. And, you know, you may not feel like you've got anything all that helpful to say. But just being there and saying, uh, I mean, just, first of all, just, just encouraging, right? We don't need to wait till there's a problem. Okay, preventative medicine is a really good thing. So we're just sharing our hearts, sharing promises we've seen in God's word, asking them what their needs are, what their burdens are, praying for them. In our DNA groups, we say, you know, what, have you been tempted this last week? Sexual temptation issues, whatever it might be. So we, we get down to the nitty and the gritty in the DNA groups. Um, so here, let me walk through and see if this helps. And I would guess many of you have, have that question. Josie, you so often ask the questions that probably most of us have, I think. Thank you. So here's how I would answer that question. Hebrews 3.14 says that, for example, applying it to me, I know I have been saved. I know I have become a sharer in Christ in the past. If, or because, same, same difference, I'm holding firm to my original confidence right now. 
Okay? So, if I am holding firm to my original confidence right now, then that shows me I have been saved. Right? And if I know I have been saved, then that means God started a good work in me which he will continue forever. So if I'm trusting Jesus Christ right now, then I can know 100% for certain sure that I'm in heaven. I'll still face dangers, but he's going to keep me all the way through to the end. I will not fall away because I, I'm trusting him now, which shows I was saved then, which means he's going to keep me to the end. Now, what if this afternoon I let go of my firm grip and just say, fooey on this, I'm going to be bitter against somebody, I'm going to, you know, whatever it might be, okay? All those, and I just say, forget it. So this afternoon, I'm, I'm letting go of my grip. Now, what does Hebrews 3.14 tell me? Does it tell me I'm not saved? Not necessarily. Does it tell me I am saved? No. It doesn't tell me. It says, grip, and I'll know that I have been saved and that he will keep me. But if I continue on not gripping, I can't be sure I'm saved at that point in time. Because we have become sharers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. It's, it's not the normal way we think, but do you, can you see that that's exactly what Hebrews 3.14 says? Do, do you see that? I mean, you, you kind of nailed why this is... See, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 14 both say the same thing in different words. And it's a different way than we're used to thinking. If I'm holding firm now, then that shows that I have become a sharer of Christ. Which means that he's going to keep me holding firm until the end. Okay, so assurance is not based on a decision I made 10 years ago. Assurance is based on where I'm at now. And because I'm assured now, I know that he did save me and he will keep me. So I'm assured. I can put my head on my pillow and I think, I'm going to be in heaven. Not because I'm so that spiritually strong. He's going to keep me. Because I'm trusting him now. That shows that he has saved me, which means he will keep me. But if I come into a temptation where I think, ah, fooey on Jesus. I'm just going to go do this, I'm going to go do that, I'm just going to bail on him. I mean, I made the decision 10 years ago. The author of Hebrews would say, Fuller, you have become a partaker of Christ if you hold fast until the end. That holding fast is how you are assured that you did become a partaker of Christ. So your question is, how do you be a friend with someone who's in, in those two positions? How do you do that? He doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want to hear. And there, that's, a, that's a big, big question. It, it won't be friendship like with a believer who's gripping onto the Lord. It won't be the same. But you can love them. I mean, this would be a short answer, but and it would take a lot more to flesh it out. But, but there, there will be... Because you, you, you're, you're concerned about them. They, they're going to freeze to death unless something changes. Right? And so, so love means at appropriate times raising your concerns with them. But I mean, maybe have your home group pray about and talk about that with some of the women in your home group and just kind of, because the Lord will give you what's the next step? What's the next step? He will do that. Love your heart for your friends. Hmm? Yeah, and in that case, and I, it, it may not be, and in that case, I would just encourage you to say, Lord, um, or maybe talk to your home group leader, or say, who, who could I encourage to go? Because here's this person who's going to freeze to death, right? And out of love for them, we want to have someone someone be there to care. So if it's not, it may not be you, um, but it needs to be somebody out of love for them. So you're listening to all this and you're thinking, I'm the deceived one here. 
I mean, if, if that's where you're at, we, we love you and we are with you at the foot of the cross. We're not, a, I mean, we, we all understand what it is to be deceived, to stumble, to sin, to become wayward, to, to drift away, to move in unbelief. We all experience that. Every follower of Jesus experiences that. Okay, so we're all in the same boat in that way. And so we, we love you. I would just say don't, don't let anything hold you back from, from turning to the Lord from having a brother or sister pray with you. Um, just do it. Just do it. And, and the Lord will meet you. He will meet you. So that's a really good question. So here's my, here's my encouragement to all of us. Let me just wrap up with this. And that is, let's ask the Lord to give us a renewed earnestness and love for our brothers and sisters, uh, expressing itself in, 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 in our families, with our husbands, wives, children, parents. Okay, and then in our home groups as well, we would understand there's a danger. Take care, evil heart of unbelief, right? Deception, falling away from the living God, and that God will use your fellowship. He will use your prayer. He will use your listening. He will use your arms. He will use your tears. He will use your words. You're sharing scripture. He will use your, as weak as it feels, he'll use your exhortation, your encouragement, to awaken them and to bring them back. He will work. And so love each other, care for each other, and let's exhort each other every day as long as it's still called today. So let's let's stand. I want to pray this over us. Father, I ask for your power to come right now. I ask for those who are here who feel like they're the ones that are deceived. They're feeling hearts getting hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They're feeling unbelief gaining the ascendancy in their hearts. Oh Lord, I pray that right now you would just put your hand upon them and that they would not budge until they turn from that sin to Jesus Christ right now. Please Lord, do that and have them ask somebody next to them to pray for them. Have them come forward. But Lord, bring your hand upon them with power right now and that they would not budge until they are freed. So do that, Lord, this morning, I pray. I pray for those here who are already feeling overwhelmed. And I, I just pray that this vision of New Testament church life would drive them to you to say, Jesus, how can I live this out? This is in your word. How can I live this out? This is what you call us to do. There's a way for me to do it. It's what your word says. And then, Lord, show them changes in their schedule, what they can do to pursue this. And I pray for a fresh outpouring of love and earnestness upon our home groups, that we wouldn't be shallow. We wouldn't just be talking about the 49ers or the Lincoln movie or the sale at Coles, but, but, Lord, that we would be asking each other, how's your heart, brother? I love you. How are you doing? We'd share what we're struggling with. And, Lord, that you'd move our fellowship to a whole new level of earnestness. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for the power of your word. Move this upon us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.